Can you please have a cat fashion episode? If you can relate it to classical music, we can <laughs> have a cat we can. fashion episode. I will. I will. Can we do one where we try to pair cats with that look like composer? It's, it's an audio podcast. Yeah, we'll, we'll just talk about it and then we'll post them. been getting all these emails people saying hey i have a date and i want to take them to the symphony what do we do and so we're here to help this week we're we're bringing you our curated list of tips for your first time going to a classical music concert and with, bringing, a date. With, a with a date with a date bringing a date because obviously our audience is killing it in that department and this is our number one requested uh, topic. Cue the music. <laughs> so we, we do have a one bittersweet, slightly sad announcement. Uh, I'm interrupt I, me. I don't think it's sad. It's not sad. It's we're just, we're taking a break. Sad. We're going on. We're taking a small hiatus to prep season two of Adagio for Things. Mm-hmm. This has been the first season. This is the last episode of the first season. This is episode eight. eight. So stay tuned for season two. Okay, with that, let's get started. So, so our, our first question um, came from a user at Hidden Hamster. How do I go about picking the right concert for my date? Well, it's very easy. Most orchestras offer a full list of their entire season on their website. But a better question, which music is best for you, Hidden Hamster? Do some exploration and figure out which composers you like best ahead of time. Yeah. What's the best way, do you think, for them to explore it? Where should they go? They can go to Spotify, listen to any of our wonderful playlists. Oh, yeah. That's Loudbox on Spotify. Um, or listen to your local classical music radio. Uh, there's not all that much in the way of podcasts. There's really only us, and you should really stop looking. There's only us. There's only us. Don't worry about We're the it. the only authority on yeah. classical music. Just um, us. Or, you know, you could be at all brave and go check out something you don't know. But it, it, should, it should be said for a date, checking out something you don't know never pays off. Yeah, pretty much the worst thing that could happen is you are locked in a room with music you hate for 55 minutes. But, but actually the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to have to sit through one thing you don't like quite as much for like a little while. This I, is going to be fine. And then you'll have something to talk about with your date afterwards. Be fine. Okay, so you figured out what you want to hear, where you're going to hear it. How do you go about buying tickets? You can buy your tickets online on the orchestra's website. It's very easy. Um, you just go there uh, and then type in your credit card info. You know, some orchestras might steal it and go pay for McDonald's for the players, but like, don't sweat it. Yeah, a lot of people ask us. Consider it your donation. I, I DM'd uh, an orchestra on Twitter. Where can I get tickets? And I gave them my credit card info and my uh, bank account number, and um, I never, I never got tickets out of that. Did That's you give not them the routing number? People always forget the routing number. There's also mm-hmm. always uh, the the lovely tradition of scalping, like in Inglorious Bastards. If you collect eighty scalps, you get a free ticket. 
That's how the New York Phil runs things anyway. I don't know about other cities. The Berlin Phil, you can show up at the door with 12 scalps. The last bit of advice we have about acquiring your tickets and going to the concert is a lot of orchestras do student rush programs where you just type in a little promo code and the price drops from like, you know, if you're buying a $60 ticket, suddenly it's like $15. And you can usually get two. And you can usually get two at a time. Yeah. Um, So one for you, one for your date, who is uh, probably employed, unlike you, who is a student. Okay, so here's one. At Brahms Balls asks, what should I wear to the symphony? Ah. This is a good this is a good question. Yeah, well, thank you, Brahms yeah. Balls. This Especially is a good one. A lot of the date. Yes. That's, yeah. that's a whole other layer. A Symphony lot of people are already concerned about this, but then you also have to dress to impress. It doesn't matter at all what you're gonna wear because you're going to see people at every degree of dressed up while you're there, from t-shirt and shorts folks up to, you know, suit and nice dress and you know that kind of stuff. Uh, the only thing you um, really shouldn't do is just don't wear a fucking tux. No matter, just don't. Unless it's like a gala concert, in which case you should be, you know, you should be wearing, you have to be wearing your Jimmy <clears throat> Buffett best uh, Hawaiian t-shirt. Basically, the only guideline is don't go in like a ball gown or a tux. There's always two like sad freshmen in college or high school people and they're like sore thumbs looking like the saddest invites to an art opening you've ever seen. Can you wear a tracksuit? Yes. Sure. This one yeah. comes from at Sushi69Lover. What do I do when I get there? Okay, this seems kind of obvious, but there might be some things you don't know about when you go to the symphony. Uh, first of all, tailgating, actually totally fine. Usually these places have like big plazas out front. You know, roll up your grill. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the best go part. Go for it. We go up to Lincoln Center. We stay claim on the entire fountain area. Mm-hmm. And we just barbecue some dogs and some brats. I have a, I have a question here from Lick My Dalla Piccola. Um, okay. So I, want, I have some things I, I, I'm not sure that I'm allowed to bring in. It goes beyond food. What do I do? You know... Coming from anyone who's who's gone to music school or is just has been a, a concert goer from an, an early age with some friends, uh, we know all about uh, sneaking stuff into concerts for sure. I mean, flasks are basically how undergrads get through going to a, a degree's worth of performances. Lesson that I learned in college, if you go to Tristan and bring whiskey with you, everyone around will know the second you open it. We both bought flasks and we filled it with whiskey mm-hmm. and we got there and we just oh, opened yeah. it up and instantly realized that everyone knew what we were doing. Yep. Did anyone say anything? No. Oh. They were very nice about it. The older generation, that's a generation of people who brought flasks to everything. Okay. So that covers alcohol. So there's two very common things that you're going to want to sneak in with you, food and drink. Uh, just because under no circumstances when you go to a classical concert should you be carrying cash. You can't have cash. You can't do it. No, everyone knows that. It's fine. Just, just cash. don't do it. It's you too fucking dangerous. I mean, you're, you're gonna, gonna. It's you're not gonna, gonna, gonna go. I tried it once. It's not Did I tell you that? That's that's the end of that. I did try it once. Well, we're lucky to still have you. Anyway, let's keep moving. Fireworks. Read the room. 
<clears throat> oh yeah, I mean, bring bottle rockets. Bring bring the little yeah, but the little really, raisins that you throw at the ground. And they, whoa, they you gotta you gotta ref, you, you gotta judge your use based on who's in the crowd with the music. Some items that are, are strictly prohibited. We figured we should share this list with you just for your knowledge. Um, Things you can't bring in are knitting needles, uh, aerosol, insecticide, bottled water, darts, live fish, undeployed airbags are also prohibited. Bear spray. No bear spray. Bear spray. Well, uh, one time, one time, I tried to bring in a. I, I just had this. I had this Ziploc bag of broken glass. Just like you know, I'm carrying it around. I just, I've just had it all day, and um, an usher tried to stop me. And apparently, you know, you, apparently, you're not allowed to bring in bags of broken glass. So you know, if you're carrying around a bag of broken glass, you got to figure out, you know, like a locker to store it in or something. This does bring us to our next point of uh, if you do have something like this with you, what do you do? Uh, about the ushers uh, because you know they're 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 everywhere um, and and really all you have to know just assert dominance over the ushers that is rule number one it's a tribal hierarchy yeah they're they're peevish little hall mo- hall monitors and all, all they need to know is that you have more power than they do yeah if you want to be sure you find the right seat. Make sure that they know from a distance that you know what you're doing, especially if you don't know what you're doing. So this is um, this is the end of for this part. We're we're done with some of your questions, but uh, here's a few more bonus tips from us that we thought you could uh, that you could use when you get your program. Uh, don't forget to check if it's uh, if it's spoiled or expired. You know, past due because um, those things can go rancid. Be sure you know you give it give it a sniff. Uh, check the date. Remember, it's a, it's a sell by, not a use by. That's how they get you. So um, you know, and if you're unsure, you can always exchange it uh, for a new one. Yeah, Insurance. you can always check, and and don't just think because all of the information seems to be up to date and it does seem to be describing the the program that you uh, are currently attending. That that doesn't mean that the program isn't still expired. While you're waiting <clears throat> for the show to start. Um, be sure to, to loudly convey your low expectations of the orchestra, or better yet, of the, the composer. Uh, this really conveys... Especially for new pieces. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This tells your date and everyone in a 30-yard radius around you in the audience, uh, and you just, you know more. You should always go into new mu- music concerts already hating it. New music composers love this <clears throat> attitude. <clears throat> they do. Uh, now... Our, our last kind of pre-concert bit of advice for you all is, you know, of course, what everybody wants to know about pairing drugs with your music. This applies a lot more to opera fans, of course. But if you're going to the symphony, it's just as uh, just as viable. You know, um, there's a long tradition. It's like wine and the Michelin star meal, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Um, so, you know, Berlioz had opium and, and Mozart, you know, drank beer like crazy. And Philip Glass is definitely on something. Alcohol, first of all, as we mentioned, it's basically a requirement uh, for classical music. Most of the musicians on stage are, you know, they're drunk. The, you know, the reason that bar behind the conductor is there so he stays upright. Well, that's an actual bar. It is, it, yeah, actually, he can get bottle that's service. A, that's a wet bar. Yeah. But let's say you're interested in something a little stronger, of course. You know, um, there's, there's, of course, you know, starting out low marijuana. I recommend it mostly for longer pieces you know your wagner or your minimalist pieces Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily go by genre it's length it's a length thing now for the the more daring ones you know some people are like you know 
we, we're going to the, the symphony. You know, there's mirrors everywhere. I'm thinking cocaine. This is this is where I'm going. Uh, but really, you only want to do that for like the notorious snooze fests, you such know? as you know, like uh, like Baroque oratorios. Hmm. I, I see this yeah, with I love your, music. Uh, recorder concertos. Now, now veering in the opposite direction, we have the we have downers. You know, uh, America's favorite, all the opioids. You know, heroin and, and your, your pills and all that good stuff. Yeah, Percocet, Vicodin. Oh, yeah. You know, Oxycontin. If, uh, you know, basically if anything gives you just unbridled excitement, you know, if you're getting, what did you call it last episode? A uh, symphonic boner or something like that. That sounds like me. Yeah. You know, then th- that's maybe a good uh, a good thing for you. you we just, um, just don't do it unless you have an aisle seat because it's really looked down upon in the classical community you know, to use a vein that you're also sharing an armrest with. It's just not really cool. Oh, yeah. And especially the, the older generation who's really... Um, uh, They're very prim and proper. You know, mm-hmm. they if, if you've got nothing on the left side, you know, there's just an aisle there, you know, go for it. Set well, up right. some train tracks. They, they Yeah, they've been coming here for 50 years and they don't break the rules. They know which armrest to inject what into. And then our, our last category for, you know, the, the really... The, the brave, the psychonauts out there and do some some LSD or your mushrooms or that kind of stuff. It's, it's best if you're actually one of the performers or planning on giving some kind of impromptu audience participation uh, because that's basically what's going to happen. Uh, that or if you're going to see Messian, that's essentially the only exception because yeah. that shit's going to be nuts. But we are talking about dates. So uh, you know, you're not taking a date to something you're performing in. I mean, so it's probably a, you are. Sometimes you need a you sitter. You could. You could. <laughs> but I, you know, that's kind of to each their own spotter. So that brings us to to the concert itself. We're at we're at the point now where the pre-concert is over. The lights are are dimming. Uh, we're negotiating how to approach their hand. Maybe put your arm around their shoulder. They have mm-hmm. shoulders. Who the date? Yeah, sure. Sure. So we do have some we have some more questions that have come in. So this far. one comes from at Clam Quacker. At Clam Quacker asks, "What's the protocol on snagging better seats than the ones you paid for?" Yeah, uh, this is this one is a is a, a very hot topic in the concert going scene, mm. and there's a lot of mistakes you can make. The biggest rookie mistake that I've ever seen is when people. Will make a beeline straight to the new seats that they want. This will always right at the start of the music. Right, right at the start of the music, this will almost always lead you into a confrontation with the ushers. There's like no way to avoid it, or so, worse yet, with the people who are just late. Yes, which will in, in turn bring the ushers into the equation, and we need to avoid this at all costs. Yeah. So. Don't want any of that demon magic. No demon magic. No. The best thing to do is to steal the seats in increments. I would say don't move up more than four rows at a time. So you really mm. want to mentally make out a path of empty seats up to the ones that you really get. You may have to stand up and go out to the aisle to like adjust your jacket. Oh, conveniently you slip back in four rows ahead of you. No one's going to really pay attention to that. Then you wait a couple of minutes, and maybe you have to step out for a second. Maybe intermission. By the end of the concert, you probably will have made it to the seats you want. Now, the downside is you don't get to watch the show in the seats that you want, but you do get there. 
And that's all it's really about. Yes. Yeah. Be seen. Because then you can Snapchat it and Instagram it saying, oh my God. At intermission, not during the the music. I got the best seats in my house. They won't know what's going on. So the next one is clapping. Now, this is another big one because clapping, I will say, this one kind of doesn't get done correctly pretty much any time you go to a concert. And people know there are rules, but they don't know what they're There are rules. There are rules. They Uh, never look for the rules, they're always listed. They always put the clapping They're always posted. Outside. But no one reads them. No one does. It's right next to no diving, no cannonballs. Uh, so it's typically expected to refrain from clapping during different movements. And that just means different sections of the same piece that has a, a break of silence that would feel naturally like I'm supposed to do something. I think you should be able to clap if you want. I think that the rules are silly. I understand why they're there, but I think the anxiety of clapping deters people from going to concerts, especially if you're on a day you're already nervous as uh, all, all get out, so you don't want to be even more nervous. So I say, if you really like it, you you clap. You clap if you're the only one clapping. The biggest thing, though, is what to do if you're not really enthusiastic about what you're listening to, and my argument is the best approach is to use the, the Nicole Kidman clap. Your hands don't Very, actually meet. Yeah, and your, your fingers You're not making noise. kind of arch back very elegantly, and you just look completely not enthusiastic. You're not contributing to the overall volume of enthusiasm, mm-hmm. but you're still saving face with your, your fellow concert exactly. by looking like you're supporting it's it. It's also good when your arms get tired. Like, yeah, I think more important than when you clap is which claps you use, because you've, you've talked about... The Kidman and the Gaga. There's also the Seinfeld, which you need a Pez dispenser for. There's the golf clap. There's the emphatic, uh, you know, mm-hmm. baseball game clap. There's also there's always there also suicidal clap. Yeah. There's these. There's the brute force meat cup clap. Oh yeah. With all your might, you make concave shapes mm-hmm. out of your hands and just blow the eardrums out of the yeah. people in front it's of you. It's usually accompanied with a bravo. Yeah. This is actually a really good tool if you've mm-hmm. had some really fucking awful people in front of you for the rest of the concert because yeah. you can just destroy their lives mm-hmm. with your clapping. Yeah, it could yeah. be ven- you know vengeful. Vengeful. I've backhand, done backhand clap. Yeah. Notice that air that. horns were not on that list of prohibited items. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. The next part of what to do during the concert is the uh, the touchy subject of texting and phone calls during the performance. Right. When should you text? When mm-hmm. should you make a yes. long phone call? Yes. If you have to text or make a phone call, texting's easier. Texting you can get away with because that's something you can just kind of shove down under your knees and awkwardly cram your hands down and Use like the make blue it look light like filter. very... Phone calls are a little bit harder. You would have to somehow frame it like you're talking to the person next to you while on the phone uh you if it can't be avoided choose a ringtone that really adds something to the music that's yeah Yeah. that's a good point yeah i I feel like the real takeaway is don't don't feel like you have to turn your phone off or put it on silent those rules are for other people yeah not you you're in the know you listen to this okay so this is a good one i have um a question from uh at dvorkok uh, 42. He wants to know what what should you do if he falls asleep at a concert. That's a he's, good one. He's at a concert with a date, and he and he's nodding off. 
I think everyone's been in this scenario. The, well, the best way to avoid falling asleep is to not fall asleep. To avoid it completely. Same thing as the best way to not get pregnant. It's just abstain. That works for the South. If you're really trying to avoid falling asleep, we, we prefer the pullout method. So falling asleep, it can plague even the most dedicated. I mean, this is not something that anyone is safe from, I think. So if you, let's say you had the, the, the option to keep yourself awake beforehand, the best thing to do is to drink at least, at least three large cups of coffee right before you go in to sit down. And you will not not off at all. It will also add an element of fear to the entire concert. It does. You get very, yeah. but that's where the drug pairing comes fear in. Fear is I a mean, really yeah. important part of any concert. If experience. you're already a yeah. little paranoid, you're going to be nice and worried about yeah. shitting yourself. You need to counteract that caffeine. Well, and that's a good point. We do have a. We'll come back to what to do about bathrooms. Yeah, part of the pure anxiety and adrenaline is kind of the, yeah. what a concert is to me. If you are falling asleep and you feel this wave of sleepiness coming and it's just overtaking you completely you can ask your date to be on doze duty mm. it's not the most romantic thing but they could give you a nice sharp elbow into the side if they see you when the head like you know when someone's starting to go down ribs number two and three towards the bottom are nice and sensitive but that's that's not always the best i mean that because it puts your date on the spot and then you're you're trying to avoid to look like you're falling asleep so you could also pay the person on the other side of you to do it as well date wise that's kind of rolled into concert etiquette i mean if you if you hand anyone a five dollar bill they'll know what to do and that takes the pressure off your date who you know presumably you don't know that well if anyone gives you a five dollar bill it's always to be on dose duty or to move your car yeah lastly if you want to rest your eyes, which I've found myself in recently, the best way to do is to close them, but keep a finger tapping along because it shows that you're alert and you're just really into it. Mm. No one will think you're falling asleep. This all being said, you're just waiting to get to the intermission. Everyone's rushing to get either going out for a smoke break or to the bathroom, but the biggest one is getting to the bar. Everyone wants to get to the bar because most events have those nowadays. So I always say to just avoid red wine right out of the gate if you're on a date, uh, to avoid spillage and the you know, wine lips. The wine lips, the wine lips that are sure to happen. Beers are great for burping contests in the lobby. Keep it classy and competitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say when you're for the bar, you really can't go wrong. It's best to either just buy two at a time so you can double fist it. You don't have to wait in that line anymore. Because you also got to finish that thing before those little bells go off. Yeah. Well, those two are for you, not for your date. The date oh, yeah. needs to get their own too. Mm-hmm. This one comes from <laughs> this one comes from at Squirrely Beanhammer. Hi Adagio, I'm I'm at a concert and I feel that I'm being followed and all my cash is gone. Is this normal? What do I do? Wait, this was in present tense. They asked us during the concert. I mean, apparently, how long ago did they send this? I don't know. I check the Twitter account like every week and a half. So this person, sorry, uh, you were out of luck. Either way, we just told you don't fucking carry cash. So there you go. This will be for next time. This is for next time. You were already in trouble. This reason is is a little hard for me because this happens to me all the time to the point where it's almost an every time occurrence. I mean, if I had. Uh, a dime for every opera I've gone to where a guy dressed like a Pagliaccio terrorized me, I could buy the rice to Seinfeld. I think if you feel like you're getting followed, this is the best time to dramatically push through the entire line. Just 
knocking people over to run inside and proceed to run through the rows to make your trail harder for the the the, the follower to smell. Well, I mean, that's one school of thought, but you also do want to keep it subtle. I mean, if you're slipping a tail, which we oh, know have, this, this happens a lot. Like we've all seen Tom Cruise movies, goes to an opera or a symphony and, you know, suddenly assassination. Yeah. That's where most assassinations take place. Yeah. Abe Lincoln. Roosevelt. McKinley. Harding. Washington. Mm-hmm. Franklin. FDR. LBJ. JFK. We lost a lot of good ones DMT. this year. DMT. And the well, Jackson I'm learning, 5. I'm learning a lot The today. Jackson 5 and the Jackson 3 and 4. All assassinated at theaters. So you just got to find a way to shake them. It's different for every person. I told you what I do. Apparently that's not the way you guys do it. And that's totally fine. I tend to like to make a huge scene and be as dramatic as I possibly can. Screaming, I'm being followed. I'm being followed. Help, help. I'm late for the concert. Godspeed right. being hammer. Yeah. Tweet at us. Let us know how it went. Get big. Be big. We hope it increased your awareness and love of classical music. <laughs> we've got one. We've got another question. This one comes from at Diamond Dust Beach Bod. Okay. It says, Adagio, I, I was at a concert the other night. I looked over and some D-bag was hitting on my, my squeeze. How do I show this jabroni what's up? Okay. Uh, it looks like we have... <laughs> A bridge and tunnel asking some questions on the phone or uh, on the show um, well diamond dust if if someone hits on your date or is putting the moves on your date i would say then just ask your date are they into them and if so then you finish the concert on your lonesome unless it turns into like a three-person affair nothing soothes or endorses loneliness and polyamory at the same time quite like Symphonic music. This is where your bag of glass comes in handy. Okay, this is, this is a good question. This this comes from uh, at Penis Granger's Penis Granger, and he asks, the patron next to me seems to have died. What do I do? All right, all right, Penis Someone next Granger. to you died. We've got a, a steadily aging demographic here. Yeah. One, one of the blue hairs uh, did what all, all grandmas do. Life is impermanent and fickle. I did a lot of research on this one because I wanted to treat it with the sensitivity that I thought it deserved. And I also want to make sure that I'm giving the absolute correct information because this is really, really, really touchy. I think the first thing to do, and they, they, they have this plastered on signs everywhere, is you have to ask the person, are they dead? If you don't get a response, that's when you move on to the next stage. And you, Are you a cop? Yes, you, ask them if they're, you do ask them if they're a cop because they could be undercover as a dead person. They probably took a bunch of tranquilizers. They're just not even lucid anymore. We want to support our folks in uniform. You Once you've said, okay, this person's actually dead, you need to worry about being framed. You slip out to the lobby, make an excuse. Don't tell your date that the person's dead. You slip out to the lobby. You call in an anonymous tip. You slip back in, and this is where that comes in really handy about stealing seats. You got to work your way away, away, as far away from the body as you can. Then they come in and they wheel the body out and you continue to enjoy the show. Important note, one of you, you or your date, needs to stay behind with the body to do 
a weekend at Bernie's scenario during the applause. Oh yeah, to make absolutely. sure that no one I else forgot notices. to mention that. Yeah, take some sunglasses, put them on, and then you gotta you gotta pantomime. You, you gotta grab some elbows and put the hands together. And I think that's really the only way you can do it. I won't even give any alternatives. Now this is the big one. This because we've been we've been leading up to the P question. Uh, what do you do when the music started and you have to pee? There's there's a, you know, a very few things that you actually can do. So you need to be prepared that that coffee is going to kick in. The three large cups that you down right before the concert, and it's go time. So you got to you got to make a choice. If it's during the piece, you're you're gonna have to hold it. You're, you, there's no other way around. You have to hold it, and some ways to kind of help are you count backwards from a hundred. You can think of a, a really hot, dry desert down there in your nether regions, like just kind of living there. Uh, that helps me a lot. And if now, then when it comes to an applause break, you can make a run for it. You just go. Now, if you do make it to the bathroom. Just, you know, be careful. You know, it's these 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 concert hall bathrooms are, are risky kind of places. If you see any dice games going on, just don't no, don't don't engage. Take care of your business. Head back to the music. Yeah. It's like easy. It's like a mini Detroit in every single one. Mm-hmm. OK, you've made it this far in the date. You're pretty much in the clear by this point. Talking about dinner, talking about drinks. Your date easily could have made up an excuse for why they couldn't continue on to dinner because they had an early day. Or they're like, oh, yeah, it's kind of late. I can't go. Or maybe like during intermission, they got up to use the bathroom and they took their jacket and their bag, which you thought was kind of weird. And so you text them. Did you get locked out of the performance? Did you wait too long to come in? And they text you back. "Uh, I was feeling a little sick, so I decided to leave. You felt sick. You felt sick. You decided to leave. And you didn't think to tell me before you left. Okay, so none of that happened. So, PJ Clarks, that's great. It's right across the street. It's it's not fussy, but you can get a nice cocktail. So once you're at PJ Clarks, you're on to the post-concert conversation. It's not the hardest part of the evening. But it's definitely a hurdle that you have to jump. At this point, your date is going to expect you to immediately launch into a passionate analysis of all the ways the performance you just saw offended your musical sensibilities. Would you obviously. not agree? Yeah, obviously. Right. Okay. This is the expectation of anyone on a romantic endeavor in this, you know. I thought it was the fuck. Right. So here's the thing. Negativity and aggression are incredibly impressive and sexy. No, th- th- this is this is what your date is is looking for. Mm. Yeah, for for sure. That's and it, why I'm single. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Mm. Now this goes especially for if you're if if you're on a date with a lay person. So you're the musician. You're taking out a non musician yeah. to the symphony. What's the one thing people desire most in their partner? What? It's not intelligence, and it's not having a good body. What is it? Music. Refer being referred to as lay person. What you're looking for? Condescension. Is- right. And it's the most effective way of discussing art, because how do you really say something good about art? It's really hard. You can't say something good about art. It's impossible to walk out of a concert and have something positive to say about the music, because you have to listen carefully to the performance and give a good faith listen and think about the music in like broad strokes and the interpretation and the characterization of the piece, and maybe you even have to know the piece. 
And if you're a fucking nerd, you can go right ahead and do all that bullshit. Or you can just wait until someone in the orchestra makes a mistake. That can be the entirety of your analysis. Or like the horn player plays a totally wrong note. You have to make a mental note of this because this is going to be most of the post-concert conversation. You should be spending most of the concert counting. You need to reference measures. Going to town criticizing little bullshit like this tells your date that you are listening on a completely different level. And that makes you sound smart. That makes you better than them. You are better than them. And having a good date is all about winning the date. Let me give you an example. You just saw a piece that you don't really know by a composer you haven't really checked out. Like, let's say you just saw a Salieri overture. And up until this point, you thought Salieri was just made up for the movie. So you don't have anything, nothing to say. Shit, what's that actor's name? Hold on. The entire piece, you're just trying to remember. F. Murray Abraham. God damn it. Sorry. I'm just going to continue on reading what I wrote. The entire piece, (laughs) you're just trying to remember the actor's name who played Salieri. Oh, we can start over. I'm so sorry. All right. It's F. Murray Abraham. It's F. F. Murray Abraham. Was he the person who played uh, Richie Rich's butler? Yeah. Okay. So at this point, you can't, you don't have anything special to offer the conversation that your layperson date, fucking idiot, couldn't offer. You've given them nothing as a potential partner or mate or, or, but here's the thing. In this whole Salieri overture, there was a pit section where a full two times the strings weren't together. You scoffed audibly. Your date remembered this. This is the conversation. You take that as an opportunity to launch into how sloppy the strings were. You can tap your fingers on the table to illustrate the difference between together pits and not together pits. This all makes you sound really smart. Your date might test you by looking incredibly disinterested. What they're really saying is, give me more. Maybe... Tell an apocryphal story about something someone said to you at a festival, but call that someone by their first name to give the impression that you and this person are closer than you really are. Bring the waitstaff into the conversation. Now this person thinks you're friends with David Zinman. They don't know who David Zinman is, but you can spend a few minutes explaining to them why that's really cool. Because you're dating down. Because you're dating down. A big part of dating is convincing your date that you're dating down. That's how you win. So it's a a game. It's all a game and no game. Your date at this point is sensing that you have nothing real to say. Here's what you do. You have deliberately missed the forest from the trees and it's about to backfire. You deploy a little rhetorical device I like to call the libertarian. You double down on everything you've been saying. You explain why details matter. That your date's apparent disregard for details is the root cause of the erosion of this great art form. That pretty much covers my advice for the dinner conversation. But now that you've finished dinner, fast forward to your apartment. Make sure everything is set up. Got a bottle of wine, the place is clean, your apartment never looks like this. What do you do? How do you take this to the net? What's the next move? You open up that bottle, pour it in the glass closest to you, and take off your pants and get comfortable. 
Because now you have to spend the next three hours frantically apologizing over text for being such a dick at dinner. So, that's the date at the symphony. What did we take away from it? I think I think we gave our, our listeners a lot of really great advice that they could that they could use mm-hmm. for the future. Go out and have a great time. Uh, it's gonna be a hoot. You kids have fun out there. Stay safe. On that note, that's a wrap on season one of Adagio for thi- for things. What a way yeah. to go out. We're sorry, everyone. We're so sorry. We can't wait to talk to you all again in a couple of months. Stay tuned. That was fucking stupid. We should end with always playing the notes of whatever's left in our bottles. For today's episode, I had the chance to sit down with Sato Matsui. Though she currently lives in New York City and has called many places around the world home, Sato was born and raised in Hokkaido, Japan. Her story is truly fascinating, and I'm sorry to say I didn't know it sooner. Her music and work has led her to projects and experiences on multiple continents, to work with artists great and small, ranging from street performances to premieres at Lincoln Center. Right now, she spends most of her time interacting and collaborating with some fascinating musicians, working with actors on Shakespearean productions, genre-bending solo instrumental music, and large-scale classical compositions for groups like the New Juilliard Ensemble. She has an incredible sense of life and vigor and curiosity that's not lost in her music. Her music has a compelling mix of groove and inventiveness that's rare to find these days, something that's accessible yet completely novel. Mix all of this with a flair for the rock and roll side of life, and you've got a damn interesting composer. So without further ado, my interview with Sato Matsui. I kind of don't know what I'm doing. Oh, the absinthe? Just know a little bit what I'm doing. Yeah, right. Well, usually you have like a spoon, but yeah, we'll just sprinkle, right? On top. Do you want to try lighting it on fire or is that... Why not? Yeah? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Well, cheers. Cheers. Thanks for coming on the show. Mm. The glass is the opposite mm. of chilled now. I know, <laughs> we right? burned that it way fire. too long. <laughs> actually hot that's crazy yeah right oh i haven't had this in a while it's so good you kept it in philly yeah when i lived in philly yeah did you first try it my green green fairy days yeah (laughs) did you first try it in france let's see yeah i i first tried it in paris and then i loved it i brought a bottle back I was, uh, like, I always do this, even no matter how well I know the person. I'm like, I got to check through the bio and make sure I know some stuff. I was unaware that you're the coolest person I know. Wait, what? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Just because I was, like, you were talking yeah. about, like, living in Paris and then moving to, uh, like, busking on the street and all that stuff. Oh, it's my so God. so cool. <laughs> like, you really, like, a lot of people kind of 
feign the the whole bohemian like you know mm. being an artist and focusing on that and not doing anything else but you like did that for I, real i did the bohemian life it's always i i hate writing bios and it's always a challenge to like strike a good balance between like sounding like myself but also like wanting to sound more accomplished than i actually am but yeah, I included my professional bio, which is just like the standard, like I did this and then mm-hmm. I went to this school and I won this. But like no one really cares about that, really. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to tell more of a personal story. Yeah, it's like a book. <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm glad reading you like. I actually read it. I wasn't sure if anyone actually read yeah, it. Yeah, it was stuff, cool. So. <laughs> I was just like, I want to read the Sato novel. It was kind of a bumpy, windy road, but I mean, I guess everybody's road is kind of windy in their own way, but. Yeah. Was it. Ema, which is, I guess it's a music festival. Was that what brought you to France from Japan? Yeah, Ema was the second time I went to France. I went with my family, actually, one time. It was a vacation because yeah. my sister and I had both graduated, and I knew I wanted to go back. Yeah. So that's but, when I looked up festivals, and I found Ema, and I was like, huh, mm-hmm. counterpoint, let's do this. Yeah. It definitely opened my up my ears in a really impactful way. And yeah, I just, that was my first step into like a truly professional music world. I began with really like no connections into like the city world and music circles. So was that sort of why you went the new tonalist route in, in your music? Yeah, I guess you could say I'm a new tonalist. I, I write a lot in the tonal idiom, pantonal. But that's just what I, I mean, honestly, that's the soundscape that I grew up in. I'm trained as a classical violinist. I grew up with a lot of the traditional Japanese, like, musical Mm -hmm. sounds. And so I just see it as sort of an organic synthesis of the stuff that I grew up listening to and loving. It just, it sounds to me like you've you've been getting, at the same time, for lack of a better word, weirder with your pitch stuff and more groove-based Music has so many different dimensions that, you know, you can't really go in one direction ever. You're constantly going in all these multiple directions. Like I know a lot of people say, like, if it feels easy, it's time to time to start thinking about new things. And I think it's kind of a balance. I know that a lot of times I get stuck because I start second guessing myself like, oh, mm. this is too obvious or this is too something, you know, fill in the blank. Or are you just like becoming more familiar with you? Exactly. Yeah, I think Um, the same thing all the time. And in a way, I mean, I'm a very intuitive person, intuitive composer. And a lot of the struggle actually has been like accepting what to me feels obvious, which might not be the most obvious thing for other people. But because you're sitting with yourself so often, it feels obvious. I'm like, oh, come on. But then when I really think about it, that is what I want. Uh, More and more, it's just accepting that instinct for me, actually. It's sort of like if you're writing really fast music. Yeah. There's a lot of notes, so it just takes a little bit longer. And you're like, yeah. man, they must be tired of, the listener must be tired of this idea by now. And you're like, <laughs> oh, it's it's three seconds of music. <laughs> oh, I can probably keep this going a little longer. <laughs> yeah. You know, who's really good at fast music is Mendelssohn. He creates all these broad sweeping textures That's that the you can listen so to for like, four straight minutes and it just whizzes by and it's exciting and it's a ride and I I would love to be able to do that you know like yeah. how do you strike that balance where it's not eye rolling but it's also um, not totally yeah. mind bending yeah you have to keep it 
interesting, but within the realm of them being able to get on the bus with you. And the other thing is like, who's on the bus? You know, like, <laughs> <Yeah> . who are you yeah. writing for? Are you writing for your grandmother? Are you writing for your teacher? Are you, are you trying to win a prize? Are you trying to get a great review from New York Times? You know, obviously you got to write for yourself because if you're not honest, then, you know, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> you are the main audience. And you、yeah. probably, in today's world, spend、mm. the most time with the music for however long of a life it has afterwards. Yeah. Things get played, even if it gets played a ton of times, no, no、right. audience member is ever going to have that same familiarity. Right, they're not going to know. <clears throat> you know. They don't know what happens backstage. It's, in the end, it、oh, is、yeah. a production, it is a play that we're putting on. The players are in costumes, you know,、yeah. whether it's all black attire or ball gown or whatever it is. It's a whole production. You know, whether we like it or not, it's a visual medium as well. You know? I feel that we've neglected that for so long. Just, so long. We've, so many different ensembles and conductors have been like, the music and the music alone has to carry the whole event. And if you think of something else, you're thinking less of the music. But it's not true. You、yeah. have to give people an experience. You know, Beyonce on tour <laughs> is so popular because not、yeah. just because she's an amazing singer, but like this show is awesome. Yeah, she's an amazing fucking dancer too.、Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's the whole performative, I mean, it is performance art. Music is not notes on a page,、mm-hmm. um, which would probably incite a lot of. Composers. Yeah, a lot of composers like to think that that's what it is, but we're just, we're, we're writing、right. directions and recipes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like, I'm not, I'm, I know that I'm not really in the Kandinsky camp of, you know, art for art's sake. And I respect it, you know, I, I love that idea of I, art as this like pure form. But in the end, it's,、uh, it's part of society, it's part of culture. It、mm-hmm. usually plays some sort of a Function, like whether it's ceremonial or, or dance or、um, this amusement, even something like concert music when you go to you know, Carnegie. It's like you know, making absinthe. It, there's <laughs> it's procedure to it, it's a ritual. Great tie back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, this is really good. But yeah, I, I think we thrive on rituals. You know,、yeah. art, is, art is a ritual, art consumption is a ritual. Yeah. I wonder if sometimes our Like the way the ritual has evolved in the last 50 years, 100 years、mm. in the US is kind of like a perversion of what it should be. Because we've taken something that is like really a celebration of writing and playing music at the absolute highest point、mm-hmm. possible, but tied that to kind of a, like a class based thing, or the perception、mm-hmm. is that we've done that anyway,、mm-hmm. thanks to like. Bugs Bunny and you know, <laughs> movies and that kind of stuff. It seems like it's such a fancy affair. Well, I mean, okay, I have three thoughts about this, and I'm probably gonna forget about some of them while I'm talking about it. I'm gonna write down three and I'll hold you to it. <laughs> okay, hold me to it. So, one is that yes, there is a perception that we've somehow reached the pinnacle of complexity in classical music, Western music, and、uh, somehow it feels as if we're. At the peak of some mountain, and we're wondering where to go. And、mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case at all. You know,、mm. our definition of excellence really depends on our time, our society, everything.、Yeah. And what was considered excellent back then 
is still excellent today.、Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I full heartedly believe in musical lineage. You know, I think about my influences and、uh, the sort of, you know, it, there is sort of a passing of the torch, if you will. But I don't think we're climbing to the top. I think we're just going forward. Yeah. That makes me realize we live in a highly specialized society, which allows me to be something like a composer,、yeah. which would have been unheard of. Do you conduct? Yeah, I do、oh. conduct. Oh, cool. Yeah, I conducted a lot in my undergrad, and now I'm, I'm studying with Marski, which has been just. Are you、like, doing it right now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, my God. It's so much fun. I mean, his teachings really resonate with the way I think about music,、mm-hmm. and it's really great to just sort of be in the temporal space of music. I think that's so important for composers,、mm-hmm. you know, whether you're playing or conducting or even just listening. You know, being like a really active listener, you occupy the time of、mm-hmm. music instead of just the concept of it or the, the physical form of it on the paper. Yeah. And I think that is so important. And you get to figure out in that same way, you're existing in that space, you literally have to use、mm-hmm. your artistic instinct to figure out. How should this section relate to this section、yeah. in terms of feel and tempo and everything? It's right. And it's, it's, a, it's an organic process. I mean, I think what's cool about music is that a lot of it is instinctive and organic. And I mean, that's like a whole nother conversation to have about, like, you know, what、yeah. is organic in music. But it's also man made or woman made. Well, yeah, it's something that is so tied to us as humans.、Mm-hmm. And we've had so long with it that we have it like very codified and like really,、mm-hmm. we have it very defined and everything's perfect. But it's something that is like so deep in us and we have no real reason for it. For music. I've, I've always found、mm-hmm. that so interesting. Like we、yeah. have purposes for it, but like no survival reason for it. It's, it's just us. That's true. But, you know, I, I think music, I mean, this is going to sound really trite, so don't laugh. But music is a language in like a very literal oh, sense. Oh, I don't think that's trite at all. I'm saying that because,、um, like you said, it's in every culture, it's in every time. But it's a form of oral and temporal communication.、Mm-hmm. And it can go into a lot of abstract depths.、Mm-hmm. It's not trying to get to the specifics, but trying to get to the broader aspects of it, the more, more sort of meta、yeah. aspects of it. Maybe this is the absence speaking, but, <laughs> but <laughs> it makes sense now. <laughs> I don't know if we told you this. You're the, you're the finale. <laughs> no pressure. Speaking of finales, because this is a season finale, what do you think、Sweet、about、sweet. like ending pieces? You're interviewing me now. <laughs> yeah, no, no, the table has turned. Oh, great. You know, what's funny is a lot of times I don't have a lot of trouble with it. Really? Weirdly enough, because、mm-hmm. I always like, I tell people I accelerate into music. Like the beginning is the most, like, such a slog and so difficult. But then I like learn to speak the language of the piece. And by the end, I'm like, yeah, yeah of course it's how it goes. Yeah. How about you? How does a piece end? Um, I mean, I always think about the performers. 
I write for the performers. I mean, obviously, it's a given that I write for myself. Right, but、um, you always say that it's for the people you're writing it for. You think about absolutely、like、the interpersonal and the who they are. Hundred and ten percent. I mean, without that, there's no fun in. Writing music for me—it's thinking about the people, you know, my collaborators, the people who are going to present it, how they feel, how it makes them look on stage,、mm-hmm. how the audience feels, you know, listening to this slice of time and slice of expression. So, I mean, oftentimes I want to create a great applause for the performer.、Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I want it to be a strong ending that's going to make the audience go wild. I mean, that's my dream, right? That being said, it's it's n- that doesn't necessarily mean fast and exciting. Although you know,、right. sometimes it is. You know, it's my, the the inevitable ending is the one that really gets people. Yeah, no, ending ending is a powerful thing. I mean, I I think a lot of people talk about beginnings because obviously beginning is everything, right? Yeah. I mean, we live in. Like, I hate that beginning is everything because everything I write, I'm always like. No, it's all. I'm setting it up. Just sit,、mm-hmm. sit and wait with it for a bit. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you got to get all the ingredients to appreciate where it all comes together. So then my、mm. my beginnings always suck. So people just go like, "This is weird. Throw it out." <laughs> What do you mean? <laughs> That's、okay. why I put a drum solo at the beginning of my last orchestra piece. <laughs> Good move. I I know the New York Sato, and I've、okay. heard about your ventures in the rest of the world, but I know like. <laughs> Nothing about your like early background except that you were raised in Japan, and that's oh man, like like how early, like baby Sato. I don't know. Like, just like what was your like? Did you grow up in the in like a city or like? I know,、oh, no. I know the name of your town, but I don't know like if I'm like an ignoramus and I don't have context for what it's like. I mean, I don't blame you because I I was born and raised in Hokkaido, which is like the northern part of Japan. It's like a whole separate island. You have、yeah. to fly there or take a boat or whatever. You know, like no one ever goes there. But it's the most beautiful. It's part the more the mountainous part, right? Oh yeah, like the、yeah. the biggest national park is there. Like amazing skiing, mountain ranges.、Um, Were you a skier growing up? Oh yeah, yeah. I started skiing as soon as I could walk. Oh my god, we have something in common. Oh really? That's such a weird thing. Yeah. I love skiing, and I remember before I could like stand up and ski, my father used to put me in a backpack with my head popping out. You know, like like ginger in the backpack. The exactly.、Subway. You know when you see dogs in the subway、yeah. in a tote bag? That was me、That's、going、amazing. down a ski slope, seeing I... the world zip by backwards. Man, it was. Oh, you were. Backwards. Oh yeah, I was like in a backpack. Oh, I thought you were like facing, facing over. Backwards, oh my god! And just seeing this like snowy wonderland <gasps> zooming like backwards past me, and、um, I want this experience. Ter- terrifying <laughs> and exciting. No, it's, it's amazing. I mean, and, for a baby, it's probably a little terrifying. Um, isn't this、uh, absinthe? It's just magical like, drink. Yeah, it is the magical drink. What's funny is I also don't usually like anisey stuff. Oh yeah, this is delicious. You know they have a bunch of absinthe stores in Paris. What's your just in terms of that whole time in your life? Maybe you didn't. Did you do? You said you did、mm-hmm. a lot of bu-、uh, busking and playing violin on the street. I, that's the only way I could survive. I,、yeah. I so what I did was、um, before I went to Ima for the first time, I was a I was a sailor.、Um, I was sailing on a double masted tall ship. It was, which was also a research vessel. What? So, yeah. So we were collecting. No, wait. What you? <laughs> 
Yeah, in the Florida Straits. You sailed on a double-masted tall ship. It was a set stint. I mean, I didn't, I didn't continue it for like a year or anything. Uh, but this was an expedition in uh, Florida Straits. We were checking salinity of the water how and biodiversity. Co- how do you and do this? Like, where does this come up? I, I signed up for it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I signed up. Oh. I wanted to see the ocean. I've always loved the ocean. Oh, I wanted cool. to sail. It was the most incredible chapter of my life. Like, everything that I... I, I only had my bunker. Mm-hmm. I was literally sleeping with my, like, boots next to my face. Yeah. Uh, I had no personal space. I've heard the best sleep you ever get is on a ship. Oh, my God. Well, the first couple of days, I was, like, chundering well, everywhere. Oh, really? Oh, Chund- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that in a long time. You know, like, the only thing that really helped with seasickness, the only thing that really helps is singing. Really? It works for literally everyone that I've met. Is that where, maybe that's where sailor songs come from and stuff. Like, maybe so. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, after a couple of days, amazing. you adjust. But, but yeah. that was interesting. And then I would spend, you know, I would wake up at 3 a.m. I would, uh, you know, I need to clip in my harness to the ship so that I don't, like, fly overboard and drown or, like, fall asleep. Did you, asleep. like, climb the mast and stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. So cool. And I would spend hours at a time on the mast just looking for other ships. And in order to keep myself awake, I would tell myself stories. Like, I would invent stories and tell, my, tell it to myself out loud five times in a row. And each time I would make it better. And I, I did the same thing with music. I would make up melodies. And every time and I would sing, it. I would improve on it. Okay, how did we get to sailing? Oh, <laughs> well, and then <laughs> I, I was went, just like I so engrossed Right after that. Okay, like with the money in the case in front yeah, of Yeah, open the case, it. played, and then I had... <laughs> oh my God. What's I the had... craziest thing that happened to you all? I definitely had a few stints with people who were trying to rob me. But what I realized is when I play good music, people are on my side. And there were Mm -hmm. times when uh, strangers would stick up for me. When there were, you know, like obviously like shady folks just like lingering around my case, like trying to steal or whatever. Mm -hmm. And countless times, countless times people would come up to me and just tell me their really personal life stories. And then they just say, like, I have no idea why I'm telling you all this, because you're a stranger. I could write a whole book on people's lives just based on what I heard when I was busking. Wow. But music just has a way of opening people up. And that's when it became really about people. Some people would say it's the most degrading form of performance is on the street, but I don't believe that. Hmm. I think it's... Yeah, I don't think so. It's very honest. It's it's with you know going back to what you were saying about you know um, performance culture in the twenty first century. It's it gets rid of all the pretense. It gets rid of all the you know the like people listen when they want to listen. And mm-hmm. If they don't want to listen, they walk on. And it's the most honest form of expression. So I work. I bust in the seaport, and every day I would collect whatever I made, uh, which is somewhere between hundred and two hundred for an hour or two. Whoa. Yeah, I made good money, and I would put it in a Ritz box, you know, like Ritz, Ritz crackers. Ritz crackers. I put it in a uh, cardboard box, and I would bike it down to the local bank and deposit it. After about a month of doing this, almost every day, the teller at the bank was just like, "Okay, I could get fired for this, and this is super unprofessional." Are you dealing drugs? But I was like, "Where is this money coming from, and why is it in a Ritz box?" And I just said, "Um." I'm saving up money to go to France to study music. And she's like, oh, okay. 
So you're not like a really, really cheap hooker with dollar bills. <laughs> this is a real conversation I had. And then eventually I, I did save enough, save up enough to go to France. Uh, but then I didn't have anything in my bank account. So I, I had to busk in Paris to eat and yeah. survive. And you know what? I had this amazing relationship with this matroness of some, like, matroness of some, like, restaurant. I found this corner, like, right in front of a cathedral. There's, like, three outdoor cafes. Mm -hmm. And I would play my violin. It was, like, a concert hall of, like, outdoor seating. And uh, um, I would just play, like, the most, like, quintessential, like... French melody, like Edith Piaf, and like all that stuff. <laughs> and uh, I made bank doing this. And one evening when I was doing this, uh, the one of the waiters came up to me and he's like, "Excuse me, Mademoiselle, like I, I hear you playing, and like the matroness of the restaurant would like to speak to you." I was like, "Okay, why not?" And and this this Madame came out, and she's in this black velvet dress, like down to the floor pearl necklace literally like the definition of elegance and she comes up to me and she was just like I like your music very much and I was just like thank you very much and she was like also my customers like your music very much you can play here anytime you like I will shoo away other buskers and I will give you a three-course meal every time wow so she invited me into her restaurant and she gave me this amazing three-course meal So I used to go back there like almost every night and I would play and afterwards I would get this free, amazing three-course meal and a, and a half bottle of amazing Bordeaux. And it was, it was crazy. Uh, but it, I think a lot of that like makes me the musician that I am today. Okay, so we, I could talk about all this stuff and learn more about you for hours, but I have to ask about like, Yeah. upcoming stuff because that's part of what we're here for oh man your uh new juilliard ensemble mm -hmm. premieres coming up it is and i yeah. am stoked i think it's going to be a very strong ensemble i feel very excited about the piece that i wrote which is about mushrooms it's called kinokonoko Not, oh wait we talked about this not magic mushrooms just <laughs> just, just, <laughs> just innocent mushrooms yeah. uh kinoko no ko means uh mushroom child in japanese and uh first movement is about sort of like organic growth um second movement is about mm. decomposition and then the third movement is sort of about like the cycling of mushroom after mushroom um so kind of existential yeah transcendental vibes going on yeah transcendental but also like um I mean, I think mushrooms are like pretty humble little things. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of a combination of the both. Uh, it uses a lot of Buddhist percussions, actually. Inking bells, which is used for meditation. Mokugyo, which is like wooden bells. It's shaped like a fish. Let's see, what else do I have going on? There is... I'm scoring a production of As You Like It, a Shakespeare play. And that is interesting because I am Just writing... incidental music, I'm guessing. Where is it? Actually, um, As You Like It has about oh, with songs four on. songs yeah. that are written into the score. So I get to set those songs. Cool. As well as incidental music. I've done projects like this, and it's the one of some of the most fun I've had it's as a composer. It's so fun. Because you're not writing musical theater, but you're having like this awesome collaborative input into the show. And I'm writing for actors to sing. 
So I'm, I'm not focusing on virtuosity, but I'm really, truly focusing on the drama, what serves the drama and what they can sing. And I, Are you going the uh, kind of English folk song route for certain things or is there a... Mm, there's elements of it. I'm incorporating like groove and renaissance and all that stuff, which should be fun. And then like probably the most exciting thing I'm working on right now is a piece for Carol Winston's. So, I mean, Carol has commissioned some of the biggest flute concertos of the time, like Rouse and Tower, and and besides concertos too, a lot of, you know, flute repertoire. So, yeah, it's it's a huge honor to be writing for her. Yeah. And, and she's she's just like a beautiful, beautiful person. Cool. Yeah. You are busy. Oh too God. busy. Too, I don't know. Ah, That's insane. Yeah. Okay, so we have one last question question that we that i ask people sure. on the show what's uh what's your favorite non-classical music favorite piece? non-classical there's so much that i love so i'm thinking of some artists if that would be okay mm-hmm. um yeah if it's a it can be it doesn't have to be a specific, specific song it can be like a name like a person or a band or something i love to korea i love to korea it's really cathartic music for me. Cool. It's like a, a perfect balance of deep, mind-blowing shit and also just groove. I also love Hayatis Coyote. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, when awesome. people are over, that's like my, my that's my jam. I'll like put that on in the background. Party yeah. I mean, I could get into 10 other ones, but I think I'll like stop, be- <laughs> I stop think that myself was, before. That was I, a great answer. Yeah. Yeah. You- I mean, which captures that like you know i i love lyrical stuff and i also love groove stuff i think that's what they come in have in common great answer <laughs> yeah i like, please just punch yeah you are the coolest to <laughs> it's an honor to be interviewed by yeah. you <laughs> right. thank you so much for doing this thank this is you. like truly perfect end of the season awesome interview. this was honestly so much fun yeah and so thanks for the absinthe also oh you're very welcome that is a great bottle i know i'm gonna have to stick with this for every interview in the future because they'll all go this yes. well yes <laughs> thank you so much sato for what was an incredible interview we talked for around three hours i wish we could have posted the entire thing and who knows maybe in the future we'll get around to doing that for some kind of bonus content because every minute of the conversation was so much fun but unfortunately we have self-imposed time limits so anyway that brings us to not only the end of this episode but the end of season one of adagio for things thank you all so much for listening we really hope you all enjoyed it and that your sensibilities were offended at least three times but hopefully no more than seven please do keep us in your feed we'll be in touch occasionally over the next few months while we're prepping our second season which is already in the works uh which should be coming your way in a couple of months so not too too long to wait um we have a whole bunch more hilarious and bizarre topics planned and a great lineup of fascinating composer interviews coming your way and of course lots of new music Michael and Spencer and I are just going to miss you all desperately during that time. So please keep enjoying new music, support your local composers. I don't know. If you're situated in New York City, be sure to check out the upcoming premiere of Sato Matsui's newest piece to be played by the New Juilliard Ensemble on April 1st at Alice Tully Hall. We'll be there and we hope to see some of you there. 
If you happen to spot us, be sure to come up and say hi, because I'm sure you'll all be missing us so much in the hiatus between seasons. Until then, we'll leave you with Sato Matsui's Aster Place.
So are we done? I guess so. We might be. Keep the questions coming. We'll be back. Do you know Percy Granger was a sadomasochist? Should I should I stop? Was his mom huh? recording? I don't know. He thought so. I are think. we done? I think we're yeah. done. Goodbye, podcast land, but not forever. We'll be back Bye. soon. Bye. 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 Bye.